The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I had a bad experience mountain biking a couple years ago, or maybe it was a couple months ago. Um, my, my friend, so I thought, um, a guy named uh, Pastor Dan, I don't know if you know him, he invited me to go, he says, hey man, I, I'm getting into mountain biking, you know, there's this place over at Markham Park, we can go mountain biking, do you, you want to go? I've got like an extra bike that you could use, um, do you want to go? And I'm thinking, and I said to him, we've been friends for a long time, Dan, what of anything that you know about me would lead you to believe that I would be good at mountain biking? And he was just really persistent and said, no, here, why don't you come in? It's nothing to it. You, literally, it's just riding a bike. And I said, I'm terrible at riding bikes. Okay, I fall off of bikes. I don't do that very well. I know the children do that well. I don't do riding bikes very well. He's like, no, come on, it'll be all right. And he's like, I'll just show you what to do, and, and I'll make sure you got it. You know exactly what's going on. And so I, for some reason, agreed. And one Sunday afternoon, we go over to Markham Park. We get out these two bikes. He hands me a helmet, which then I knew I'm in trouble. Okay, if you need a helmet for this sport. And um, I put the helmet on, and I'm like, all right, so like, what do I need to know? He's like, dude, it's just like riding a bike. I said, I thought you were going to like prepare me for this extreme sport that we're about to do. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, you'll be fine. Like, all right, so we go, like, riding, and there's all these trails and up and down, and there's, like, different levels of difficulty, and he's trying to stay on, like, the easy routes. I don't know. They're color-coded, so I have no idea if they're really the easy routes or not. And so um, we're going around up and down, and, and um, like, he's, like, way in front of me, and he has to stop because I keep, like, falling into bushes and, like, tripping over branches and things like that. And so finally, like, at one point, I'm already, like, bruised and cut up and everything like that and perspiring. He's not sweat at all yet, and he's at the top top of this hill, and I'm riding up to him, and he stopped, and it's like a steep drop, and there's woods on one side, and so Dan, that's something you need to know about Dan, is Dan is always just even and calm, okay? Nothing gets him excited. He's just even Stephen, okay? And so he says, there's a, a steep drop here, so we can either ride down slowly, or we can go off, we can just get off our bikes and go down into the woods and walk our bikes down to the trail. And he explains this to me nice and slowly. The problem is I was riding my bike at about 30 miles per hour. So I hear something about the woods, and I go down into the woods. And now I'm going like a million, I'm just flying, there's trees going everywhere past me, and I literally go directly head first into a tree. Okay, I'm talking like front wheels hit the tree, I go over the handlebars, my head makes direct contact with the tree. I fall down, I'm like twisted around into the bike, some, some weird pretzel, okay? And Dan is up on the hill. Now, I want you to imagine what Dan Gossett, a pastor, is doing on this hill. Is he calling 911? No. Is he rushing down the hill to get me with bandages? No. He is incapacitated laughing. <laughs> He's barely holding himself up with his bike, hysterically laughing. And that's when it hit me. This situation is the entire reason he invited me. <laughs> he wanted, in his twisted, sadistic mind... He wanted me to. He wanted a situation where he could mock me in some kind of injury that I needed to go to the hospital. Okay, so I had a bad experience mountain biking, 
And Dan had the audacity about a month ago to say, hey man, you want to go, want to go mountain biking again? Okay, so any time Dan, let alone anyone, brings up mountain biking, like I'm like, no, why? Why would I go mountain biking with you? Okay, I just, it's not only that I don't want to go, I got injured, but I am like struggling with some trust here because I think it's all set up. It's one big scam as to why he's wanting to take, take me mountain biking. Now, maybe you've had experience like that in your life where you've had some kind of bad experience and anytime someone brings that up, like you get a little bit like weirded out. Okay, you had a, a clown at your birthday party when you were a kid and now you're terrified of clowns. I never want to see one again. Okay, I, I, I don't know. You've had some kind of experience. It didn't go well for you. And now it's not only that you're a little bit resistant, but maybe you're even struggling with some trust. Like, okay, what, what is that all about? When it comes to church, there is one issue that is like that more than any other issue. I mean, of all the questions that are in the room, I mean, the questions that when we gather together that might be in the room that we're like, man, I don't know if we should hit this one or I, man, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask this question or I don't know if I should be thinking this or maybe it's a question you're just not even, you're pretending it's not there. I mean, if there is one question, there's one issue that maybe you've had a bad experience or you're struggling to trust on, it's this one question that is so often circling in the room. Why do churches always talk about money? You ever heard that one before? Why does it seem like churches always talk about money? It's just one of those questions. I mean, if we're going to get here and we're going to say, all right, let's talk about the tough questions in the room, let's put that one on the table. Because chances are, at some point, you've had a bad experience with bringing those two concepts together, church and money. In fact, I'm envisioning right now a situation. Okay, there's someone that has been, in, your friend has been inviting them to church. They're saying, man, you got to come to church. Uh, I'd love for you to join me in church. No, no, I don't want to. And then month after month, you got to come to church. You know, I just feel like churches are just about money. No, no, no. Come to church anyway. My church is not like that. Come on and then... I'm envisioning this, this is the first Sunday you come, okay? Right now, the person who invited you, they're shooting lasers at me out of their eyeballs, okay? All right, now here's, here's what I would say. I'd say if that is your thing, and if you're a guest here, you're saying, man, this is my first time in church, this is, the, this is the thing that makes me so weirded out about church, then honestly, I think this is the perfect Sunday for you to be here. Let's just take that question and let's just put it on the table, if that's, that might be the one thing that you're just the most weirded out about church, well, if we can't talk about it here, where can we talk about it? Maybe you've had a difficult experience with money in church, and, and maybe for a couple reasons. Let's just be honest. Maybe the first reason is you're like, you know what? When it comes to church, when I go to church, I'm looking to just meet with God. I, I just want a, a spiritual, sacred moment where I'm connecting with God. And if a church all of a sudden starts talking about money, it just makes me feel like, is this just a big gimmick? Was this just a big, long infomercial? And now all of a sudden, I, I, I'm, I'm here and all you're after is, is my money. Man, sometimes that, that's a real experience. That's fair. Or maybe you've had an experience. Maybe like, look, I'm a, I'm a church person, but any time a church talks about money, man, I just feel guilty. Like, I've been made to feel guilty. I've been made to feel like, 
I'm never doing enough, I'm never giving enough, and when it comes to finances and church, whenever those two things collide, I just feel like God's mad at me. Or maybe, and honestly, man, this is the most heartbreaking, maybe you've had an experience personally or something you've witnessed where you've seen a, a church or been a part of a church that you felt mishandled money, and so now there's a trust issue, and you're like, I don't know if I trust church in general. I, I just don't know if I can trust church and this issue. And you know what? Man, that's, that's a fair question. So then why do churches talk about money? Let's just put that on the table. Let's just, if we can't talk about it here, where is a constructive place to talk about it? And let's look at what the Bible has to say about that. We're looking at a place in the Bible. Uh, the book is Nehemiah, and it's in the Old Testament. We're going to look in chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament, and it takes place a couple hundred years before the time of Jesus. And here's what's happening. It takes place in Jerusalem, and this is an, uh, a city that was decimated and conquered by, uh, by other uh, enemy, enemy empires, and they've been rebuilding the city. They just rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the walls, and now they've kind of rebuilt physically. Now they're rebuilding this city spiritually. And so this is a city that they're, that they're now, it's like, okay, we're, we're the people of God. God has called us to worship, and so they're rebuilding it spiritually. And last week, we looked at when they all gathered together to worship. And as the people of God, when they gathered together to worship, there are parallels between when they gather together and when we gather together. And so we're, we're looking at those parallels and pulling out these principles for us. Well, we're actually going to jump to the passage immediately before the scripture we were looking at last week because before they gathered together, there's a passage where they gave financially. And we're going to look at that because I think there's a principle there that helps us wrestle through why this is one of those questions that storm in the room when we come together. So we're going to look at that at chapter, in chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 70. <coughs> If you would look at that passage, that verse with me, Nehemiah chapter 7, starting in verse 70. Let's just read straight through it. Here's what it says. Now some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all of Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Now here's what's happening in this section. They've all, they're coming back to Jerusalem, they've rebuilt the walls, they've rebuilt the temple, they're just about to settle in their towns and then repopulate Jerusalem. They're just about to do this, and, and right before, one of the first things they do is it says that these heads, these leaders, and, all, and the people are giving to this work, and I, I love that wording, it says they gave to the work. They're giving to the work. And, and then immediately the next chapter is going to be when they come together to worship together, to worship the Lord. Now, it's, it's helpful to see this moment in context to their culture. 
And here's how their, their culture worked. Remember, they're rebuilding this community. This is a couple hundred years before the time of Christ. And so one of the things is they're starting to follow again the laws that God gave through Moses. If you can remember, uh, hundreds of years before that time of what we just read, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he, remember he gets those tablets and the Ten Commandments and all the law. And he gets all these laws for how the people of God are supposed to live. And so it's interesting that in the law, God wired in how they were supposed to be generous. So here's how the law worked. They had certain tithes that they, God had commanded them to pay. Now, what does that word tithe mean? Tithe means t- a tenth. So they would, they would think in terms of these tenths, these tithes, and they had certain tithes they were commanded to give. They were commanded to, uh, to give a tithe to the temple and to the Levites. They were giving a tithe to the poor. They would give a tithe to these religious festivals. And how they were commanded to do that was this idea of what's called first fruits. And what that means is they would start with, they'd have a harvest, and they'd, they'd, maybe they'd be harvesting their, their fields, they'd bring in all of the crop, and they would give the first fruits to God. So the first thing they would do is they'd set aside a portion of that that they would, they would give to the Lord. If, it, if they had a flock, uh, uh, they would take the first of the, the flock that was uh, multiplied, that was born that year, and they would, uh, they would give that as an offering to the Lord. They're giving back to God. And there's these various tithes. Some of these tithes they'd give every year. Some of these tithes they'd give every couple years. And so scholars estimate that by law, these people are giving something like 23% of what they're reaping from their, their business or their field or their flock, and they're giving it back to the Lord. He's wiring generosity into their laws. Now, on top of that, there's a couple other interesting things that they would do. One of their practices is that when they would harvest a field... They would, they would plow the whole thing, they'd, they'd reap all of the crop, but they'd leave the very fringes around the edge of the field for the poor. And they'd leave that standing so the poor who didn't have fields of their own could just walk through the field and they could pick that and take that home for themselves. So they would, in addition to that, the legal tithes that they would give, they would leave a portion of that for the, for the poor. On top of that, there were... Uh, free will offerings that they give. Man, if God had done something in their life, they would sometimes go to the temple and they would take and they'd give an offering because, man, they're as just a worship to the Lord. And so here's, this is, that's kind of the, the cultural backdrop and that's important to see, okay, so what's happening in this passage? They've just rebuilt it. They're starting the community again, the worshiping community kind of from the beginning again and they're giving. And so this is all this that they're giving, all these minas and derricks and things it says they're giving, this is above and beyond what, that, what the law was requiring them to give. And to kind of give an idea, because you know, who knows what a mina of silver is, to kind of give you an idea, it's hard to put that in today's buying power, but scholars are estimating that altogether might be something around like $9 million or something, is how much they've all given to restart this work of this, this worship together. This is what they've all collectively given. Now here's what's, okay, you say, okay, that, that's what's happening there, but how does that, I mean, what's the parallel to us? We don't, most of us have fields with the poor can walk through it. We don't have temples and Levites and things, and so how does that apply to us? I want you to look at one word there that is so, one phrase that's so critical, it's such a beautiful point to help us wrestle with this subject. It says that they gave to the work. 
I love that wording. It's so critical for us to understand what is the Bible saying? How should we think about, about this and how should we wrestle with this important subject? But before we talk about what giving is, we've got to talk about what giving is not. Let's look at our outline. Your first one on your outline says this, giving is not because I feel guilty. Giving is not because I feel guilty. Man, there's some of us that when it comes to the subject of finances and church, man, there's some of us, it's like, man, the reason why I hate this subject of church is because I've always been made to feel guilty. I've always been made to feel like I'm not giving enough financially or it's not enough or it's not good enough or God's mad at me or maybe the church is mad at me for all I know or I just feel like it's, it's blaring, like I'm wearing this scarlet letter. I always just feel guilty. I feel judged. I feel condemned. So we've got to, we have to start with this foundation. Here's what the Bible says. If you're in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, guilt is absolutely not to be a motivator if you're a follower of Christ. He paid for all of our sins, washed them clean. We are under his grace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Here's the problem with guilt as a motivator. No matter what it is, if it's, whether it's motivating to give financially or motivating to read my Bible or motivating whatever, to serve, whatever it is, if guilt is a motivator, then I'll do it just until I can get guilt off my back. I'll do it just until I can get that bad feeling gone, and then I'll stop. Guilt is not a good motivator, but what is a good motivator is out of worship. Here's what the Bible talks about when it talks about giving. It says God loves a cheerful giver. The idea of giving is it's I'm giving to the Lord. It's my worship. It's my offering to him. It's got to be from a place of worship. But here's the second thing that giving is not. And man, I got to tell you, this is so important and this is dangerous. This is a dangerous concept to say, but it's true. Number two, giving is not because God has needs. God doesn't have needs. In fact, it'd probably be better if this was about fundraising. It'd be better fundraising to say, hey, here's our needs. But can I say something that's just kind of dangerous? God doesn't have any needs. He doesn't need for me. He doesn't need what I have. He doesn't need from you. God doesn't have any needs. I love these verses. You got to hear this. This is in, in the book of Psalm. Listen to this. Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. It's going to be on the screen. <clears throat> he says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Listen, I love this. This is God speaking. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Don't you love that? He's saying, do you think I I have needs? I own everything. I own Saturn. I own the Andromeda galaxy. I own planet Earth. He's like, if I had a need, do you you think I'd need to come to you? He's like, I I have no needs. What a beautiful, freeing concept. Look at this other verse in in Psalm um, 
in uh, Psalm verse 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Here's what we've got to know. We've got to lay this foundation before we even talk about this subject. Man, giving is not because I feel guilty, but the second thing is giving is not because God has needs. And it, it, and it, that's, it, it means even if the church is, man, if the church is, the finances are tight or the finances are healthy, it means the same thing. West Pines is in God's hands. It's in God's hands. He's not like, oh my goodness, I just I, I stopped watching for a little while and you guys are in trouble. Oh no, what are we going to do? No, it's in God's hands. We're his church. He provides. We're his children. He loves us. We're in God's, in fact, right for all, he can do whatever he wants. He can give plenty. He can, he can stretch us in our faith. He can, right now in one of these offering boxes, there could be a $1 billion check from God in one of these offering boxes right now. In fact, can we get security actually over there? I'm a little nervous now that I just said that. Okay. It's completely up to him. We are safely and securely in God's hands. He has no needs. So then, why would I give? It's not out of guilt. It's not because God has needs. Why would I give? I love the wording here. It's so strategic. It says it twice. They gave to the work. They gave to the work. Doesn't say they gave to the temple. It doesn't say they gave to the worship experience. It doesn't say that, hey, well, this well, this one guy, he wanted the gates of the temple to look a little different, so he gave some for that or this. No, it says they gave to the work. This was their work together that they were called to do. It wasn't just a work that they were doing. This is the work that they were doing. Sometimes we say this, well, you know what, I I appreciate what the church is doing, so, man, I'll I'll give you guys a little bit of money. I'll I'll give you guys some money. And there's, of course, some truth to that, but here's the even greater truth, and it's what we talked about last week. Do you realize the church, it's not this separate nonprofit that you have a soft spot for. You are the church. Remember, we talked about this last week. We, the church is not a building, it's not a nonprofit. it's not a worship service. The church is us together. It's followers of Christ. The church is, we are, if the church is a house, we're the bricks. If the church is a body, we're the parts, the body parts that make up the body. This is the work. This is the work that you and I are called to. This is the work that we will stand before God and give an account. This is the local church. It is, the local church spread out throughout the world is the hope for the world. It is the work that we've been left on the planet for to partner together and to reach this community. It is the work. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that there's not other nonprofits that are awesome to give to. In fact, we as, as a church together will bring to you other incredible nonprofits and say, look, these are great opportunities for you, you to invest. They're doing incredible things into our community for us to invest above and beyond in these. And we'll actually together partner with some of these organizations and encourage you to give generously to those. But when it comes to the church, that's what we're doing together. It's the Work we are doing together to see God reach this community. Here's number three on our outline. Giving unleashes me to fulfill my mission. Do you realize each of us, we've been left on this planet for a mission. There's a great work. Do you realize what the great work is that we are doing? We're linking arms and doing together. Think about South Florida. Man, South Florida is teeming 
with people. We've built from the ocean to the Everglades, jam-packed it with people on zero-lot line properties. We're on top of each other just with people and families and children. I mean, this is just the city is jammed with life. And the vast majority are facing an eternity away from God. That's the work. That we'll stand before God together and give an account of did we do that work. And here's the tragedy. The reason that they're, they're away from God is simply that they haven't realized that God loves them, is drawing them to himself. He will accept them right where they're at, but he won't leave them in their brokenness and their hurt. He's, he's saved them. He has sacrificed for them. They just simply don't know the message. We, what it's so, the tragedy is, and this is our work, this is our mission, our purpose that we've been left each of us on this planet to achieve is to get this message out. There's, there's a, a villain that has gone out through all of humanity, a great villain that has got every single human captured and chained down because of sin. And that villain's name is death. But Jesus Christ has conquered death itself and provided eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our work. When we give, it's part, it's an expression of our mission. We give our time, we give of our our gifting and our skills, and we give, and what we're focusing on this morning, and we give a part of that, fulfilling our mission, is going to be investing financially in the work. Let's just throw this question on the table. Man, why, why do churches always talk about money? And you know, I, I don't know that churches need to always talk about money. But why are churches talking about money? Well, the answer to that is, there's, first of all, there's probably churches out there that just want your money. I hate to say that. That's probably the truth, is that there are churches out there that just simply, that's really what they're after. But there are also faithful churches. And faithful churches faithfully teach about money because they would be doing their church and their people, their flock, that they're entrusted with the truth, a disservice. They would be failing them and sinning against them to not teach this incredible truth about what God wants us to do with our resources. Because part of it is we have all been placed with a purpose on this planet and to achieve that, it's part of that is investing financially. But there's another thing, another reason a faithful church will teach about money Number four, man, this is so important. Giving combats my destructive distractions. You say, man, what do you mean by um, what do you mean by distractions? You know, anything that can distract me from God, anything that I that gets my attention away from God and that I'm pursuing instead of God, that will inevitably lead to hurt and pain and destruction. Well, why is that? It's because all of humanity is wired to worship God. And when we put something as more important than God, we're expecting that thing to do for us what only God can do. It becomes a false god or an idol. And so sometimes we'll look to that other thing, whether it's career or vanity or success or power or whatever it is, we'll look to that thing to give us purpose, to give us security, to give us peace, to give us self-esteem or identity, and every time that's going to lead to destruction because only God can achieve that. 
And so what giving does, man, it's so powerful because giving helps us realign. Giving financially realigns where our heart is. Here's what Jesus said. It's in Matthew chapter 6, <coughs> verse 21. <coughs> Excuse me. For where your treasure is, <coughs> there your heart will be also. Man, giving financially, it's a gut check. Because we can so easily sing, God, I give you everything. I'm, I'm all in, 100% following after you. And it's so easy to say, okay, but accept my stuff, my finances, my resources. Man, that's mine. But man, financially giving, it's a gut check. It's in some ways a barometer of where my heart is because Jesus said it. If my treasure is here, I know that that's where my heart is. But, but giving is so powerful in that it realigns that. See, the Bible never says that money is evil. Money's neutral. It's not evil. Well, doesn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? Well, actually, no, the Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What about wealth? Doesn't, isn't, is the Bible say that wealth is bad? No, the Bible never says that wealth is bad. Well, what do you mean by wealth? Well, if you're sitting in this room, historically and globally speaking, you're among the wealthiest who have ever lived. You have things that kings from antiquity didn't have. You say, well, does the Bible say that wealth is bad? No, the Bible never says that wealth is bad, but here's what Jesus did say. He said wealth is dangerous. Because wealth enables me to indulge in my idolatry. It gives me the resources to pursue whatever it is that I'm putting over God. It's like, let's say you're going into the summer, you're home from college, you're like, okay, I need to get a job. And you know what? I'd like to get in shape. I'd like to, I'd like to go on a diet. I'd like to go back in the fall. And so you're, you're trying to go on, get on a diet. You're trying to get in shape. And then the only job available is at Krispy Kreme Donuts. There is no human alive that can resist a Krispy Kreme Donut. When that light is on, it's like my car goes to the thing. I can't stop it, okay? It goes right into that. All right, let's be honest. If you're working at Krispy Kreme Donuts, you will consume two dozen a day, okay? That's just, it's a law of nature, okay? If you're trying to be on a diet, working at Krispy Kreme, it's going to enable you. It's going to enable you to go after your appetites. Here's what wealth does. It's by default dangerous. So we have to be, those of us who live in our culture, in our time period, have to be even more proactive because it gives us the resources to indulge in the things we're putting over God, which is going to lead to destruction in our life. And giving enables me to say, no, God, you are first. It, it sets my heart right. It's a gut check of where my heart is because I can look where my treasure is and what I'm investing in. And according to Jesus, that's where my heart is. You say, well, help me with this. Give me something practical to do in response to this. That principle that's all through Scripture, that idea of first fruits, that's one of the most important concepts for this particular issue. When it comes to giving back to the Lord, don't wait and see what you have left over at the end of the month. Give Him the first, give Him the best. Start with this. Pr sit down and prayerfully decide, God, what are you asking me to give back to you? Start with that. Set that aside as untouchable and then build the rest of your budget based on that. Give him first fruits because he is first. But man, there's another such a critical reason why a faithful church will talk about money. Number five, giving teaches me about my father. 
Do you know there's something specifically that giving financially does for us spiritually that really almost nothing else can? There's an intimacy between us and God that giving financially back to God creates. Here's the first thing, and we alluded to it earlier. The first thing is I realize it all belongs to him anyway. Here's something I got to realize about my father. If he says he has a cattle on a thousand hills, the earth and everything in it belongs to him, that means all the stuff that I look at as mine, all of my stuff is actually his stuff, and I'm just a manager of his stuff. That means not just my stuff, that means my, my molecules. That means if I, if I pinch myself, I'm pinching something that but this skin belongs to God. It's his. And so the first thing I learned about my father is he owns it all. And so really, it's not like, okay, what am I going to give to you, God? It's like, okay, God, I'm just a manager of what's already yours. So you tell me, what do you want me to do with your resources? What do you want me to give back to the work? It's all yours. I'm just a manager. But man, there's something else that you learn about your father through financial giving in a unique way that almost any other place we can't learn. Is you learn, there's just this dynamic in Scripture that when we give generously... He gives back to you. It's not like a genie. It's not, this is not like a financial investment strategy. It's not like, okay, so if I give you a little God, you'll give me a Ferrari. Okay, can we just want to make sure we got this arrangement here? No. It's when he sees that we have a generous heart with stuff that's already his, when he sees his child give, there's a unique dynamic where he blesses you. He says, you can't outgive me. In fact, he, he dares you. This is one of the only times he does this in Scripture. He dares you to test him on it. He says, test me and see. There's this dynamic where he blesses you, and it's going to be different for each person. But here's what I would say. If you find a seasoned Christian who has tested God on this and is a faithful, generous giver, they will tell you stories of how God has blessed, blessed them because of it. Some of them will well up with tears and say, oh, you've got to trust your father. In fact, there are some who have so gotten this principle, they've actually pulled us aside and say, you need to teach giving more. They've told us, I don't think we talk about it enough because people need to know how God blesses when they're generous. Why does God bless? Is, it, is, that, is this some kind of coercion? No, here's why God blesses. Because giving financially is an incredible act of faith. It's saying, God, I'm trusting you are my security, not money. God, you are the greatest blessing, not money. God, I trust you to bless me. God, you are the most important thing, not anything this world has to offer. It's this incredible act of faith. It's treating God like he's actually God. And our faith is irresistible to God. And he can't help but bless. Number three, number five, giving teaches me about my father, but here's the last one. Man, this is so critically important. Here's the last one. Giving anchors me to my true home. Do you realize that you're, if you're an eternal being? That this life, the, the hundred years maybe that we'll live on this planet, is just going to go by like a blink in the eye, a blink of the eye compared to what your existence eternally? Do you realize that you will live in heaven if you're following after Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to him, you will live for eternity billions and billions of years? And Jesus says you can invest now in eternity. The reward is in heaven. Invest in something that will matter a billion years from now. 
So recently, um, I realized that um, in my, my cell phone arrangement that I was due for a, uh, I was eligible, I should say, for a cell phone upgrade. Um, and I'm trying to kind of justify, you know, I've got this phone here, I'm trying to justify, is this a good time to upgrade my phone? And then, of all calamities, my phone broke. I mean, what a terrible thing. Now I have to go get a new phone. I mean, just a tragedy. I'm not saying that I threw it on the ground and stomped on it. I'm not not saying that I did that. I'm just not saying that I did that. Okay. And I go and I get um, this new phone. And then um, yesterday I, was, I came here to the office and I see Pastor Justin. And you know, I've got a, I've got a new phone. So I see Justin there and I'm like, oh, let me, I've got a text message something here. And I start texting and Justin's like, oh, did you get a new phone? I'm like, oh, what, this thing? Oh, yeah, I guess I did. I might have just picked it up yesterday. And so I've got this new phone. I'm excited about this new phone. But let's just be honest for a second. In 18 months that phone will be irrelevant. And in about three days, if I haven't already dropped it and destroyed it, okay, in three days, the newness of it will have completely worn off. And that's the way anything we can invest in earth is, just like that. Why not invest in eternity? One of the reasons faithful churches teach about money is because it's a reminder, this isn't our home. Eternity is our home. Now, what's the response when we see a passage like this? How do we respond to something like this? Well, honestly, the, the basic response is to give. Give back to the Lord. Now, you say, okay, you're going to have to help me really practically. I'm new to this. What do you literally mean? How do I actually do that? Well, for starters, you can give. When you come to church, you can give in person. There's these metal offering boxes. There's some here in the auditorium. There's some in the lobbies. And for some of you, you say, you know what? I want to bring it tangibly because it's part of my worship experience. I'm not just singing, but I don't want to come in empty-handed. I'm giving something to the Lord. Others of you, you want to give online. You can text to give. You can text um, on your phone, WPCC to 77977. You can actually text from your phone. You can go online to the giving tab. You can go on the West Pines app. And for some of you, that's a, a better, more convenient way. Just what Rebecca and I do is we give online. And one of the reasons I do that is because I love the reoccurring function that I can give online. So we can, Rebecca and I can pray together and say, okay, God, what are you calling us to give this year, first and foremost, I can set that in place so it's reoccurring and so that I, because of my distraction or my laziness, it doesn't keep me from being faithful to giving first and foremost to God. And then as I'm living that decision out the rest of the year, I'm not saying, okay, I've solved generosity for the year. No, I'm waiting for more opportunities that the Lord brings to be generous and looking for opportunities to do that. The response is, to give to this passage, give back to the Lord. Now, we're all in different camps when it comes to giving. For some of us, we're here, and, and maybe you're here and you're like, look, I don't even know what I believe about God and what I believe about Jesus. And so if that's you, honestly, for you this morning, the most important thing is for you to make things right for, with God. That's the decision for you. For others, maybe kind of where you're at with God and giving, maybe it's like, okay, well, I'm giving here and there and, and you know, I'm giving a little bit here and some there and maybe the step for you to take is saying, you know what, no, wait a minute. I want to be intentional. I want to be thoughtful and so maybe you prayerfully decide, okay, what am I going to give and I'm going to start giving regular as part of my regular worship back to God. Maybe some of you are at this place say, okay, I'm giving regular, but maybe the next step is to think in terms of the way they, they think throughout Scripture. You think proportionately. You say, okay, God, what I want to do is I want to set aside prayerfully what percentage, what portion of what you're bringing for me to manage of your resources do you want me to give? 
In the same way that the Old Testament, they thought in terms of tithes, maybe you think in terms of a percentage and you start giving like that. Maybe for others of you, you say, you know what, I once heard someone teach that I'm supposed to give 10%, that 10% of what I have is God's. But you know what we just learned this morning? 100% is God's. And so for some, maybe you've been faithfully giving 10%, but maybe the question for you is, why did you stop? Maybe some, as you're saying, no, I want to be generous. I want to have a heart of generosity. I want to faithfully give to God because this is the work that I'm a part of, because this is my true home is in heaven, because I want to grow in my faith with God and I want to see God bless me in my life. And so maybe for some of you, you say, no, I want to give even more sacrificially. And some of you, you get this. Some of you, you get this. Maybe the question for you is, when's the last time you really stretched and said, you know what, no, God, take me to another level in my generosity because this is the mission and I'm going to give an account for what I did in this brief life, what I did that's going to matter for a billion years. You know, um, just a couple uh, days ago, I was with uh, our kids, um, Scarlett, our daughter. She's um, about to turn three. And our son, who's, who's one. And uh, we're teaching Scarlett to share. And I, I've... I watched this play out just a couple days ago. She has this group of, of uh, stuffed animals and dolls that they are like her babies. She has Bear and Kitty and then Baby Scarlet and then another doll, which she calls Other Baby. That's its name. And um, these four, they're, like, they're her babies. And so she put them on the couch and she started playing with something else. Well, Nehemiah crawls over and he starts reaching for one of them and she darts across the room and says, no! And she rips them out of his hands and and I partly can't blame her because she would get them back just coated in slobber and so I kind of get that. But at the same time, I'm trying to teach her to share. And so we're talking about sharing. We stopped and read a book that we have on on sharing and and, and then I said, okay, so Scarlett, can you share Bear or Kitty or Baby Scarlett or other baby with, with, uh, with Nehemiah, with your brother. And, um, and she stops, and she goes over to this pile of, of stuffed animals. I think we have every stuffed animal of, in the animal kingdom. It's like an ark at our house, okay? And she picks up this stuffed cheetah, and she hands it to, to her brother, and she never plays with the cheetah, ever. In fact, that cheetah is actually Nehemiah's stuffed animal. <laughs> and I said, Scarlett, okay, the thank you, that's good, but can you share... Bear or Kitty or, or Baby Scarlet or other baby? Can you share one of your babies? And I watch this, the tension, and she puts the cheetah back, and she goes over, and she gets Baby Scarlet. This is her doll. I mean, this is, this is the one. This is her baby. And she takes Baby Scarlet, and in just this pleasant little voice, she goes, here you go. She hands it to him, and then she bursts into tears. I almost burst into tears. <laughs> and I realize... I've just asked in her world, this isn't a toy. I've asked her to give her baby. And I realize I don't know that I've ever been as generous as she just was. And then I realize this. Why do we give to God? Because he gave his child for us. He gave everything. He gave everything to you and to me. And we give everything back to him. We give him the best. Some of you this morning, the step that you need to take is to say, you know what, God, I'm not holding this back from you anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be disciplined. I'm not just going to think about giving. I'm going to give. Give to the work because I'm giving to you. 
But others of you, you need, today, it's not about that as much as it's you need to give your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Maybe this morning you're realizing what, what Jesus did to save you. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Right now in your heart, just pray, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sacrificing for me. Thank you for giving everything, giving your son to die for me. I give everything back to you. Thank you for purchasing on the cross, Jesus, the payment for my sins and eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.